welcome to the Human Being Human. This is the Human Being Human Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Human Being Human podcast. I'm your host and creator, Carrington Cooper. Thanks for joining me for the next installment of the podcast series. In this season, we're going to change pace and switch up formats, although my home state of Nebraska will still remain the center focal point. After taking a deep dive into the history of the Cornhusker state last season, We're going to listen in on some conversations and discussions I've had with my fellow human beings and fellow Nebraskans. Thanks again for lending us your ears for this podcast series. It's always greatly appreciated. In today's episode, I sat down and chatted with one of my good friends, Jimmy Weber. Jimmy and I grew up in rival small towns in central Nebraska, and we played in bands together for many years. Back then, I knew him as James Weber. During this episode, we got to discuss lots of different subjects together, including growing up in small town Nebraska, playing in bands and gigs, being a musician during a global pandemic, as well as the nature of consciousness aliens, and of course, Bigfoot. I hope listeners at home enjoy our conversation, because I know we had a great time recording it. Thanks again for listening to the Human Being Human podcast. Without further ado, part one of my conversation with Jimmy Weber. We can just, you know, I, I really done much zooming, uh, when I was living down in Tucson, I screen printed for a while and a, a few of my interviews I had to zoom for, which that was my first time. And since I'm doing telehealth, you know, down in Omaha, so I'm not driving to Omaha all the time. All of those have been zoomed too. So natural enough that, uh, said <laughs> that. a new norm yeah it's almost almost like a semi well yeah you'd almost think like well i shouldn't have to pay as much because i'm not using the amenities 
down. Kind of weird and kind of, but I guess it's uh, for the sake of getting together and being productive and doing something fun. I, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. For the audience members listening at home, go ahead and walk us into who you are and why are you here? Oh, man. Uh, I'm Jimmy Weber. Uh, I'm a musician. How do people usually answer this? I don't know. <laughs> I just, uh, we keep it very casual, so I have no idea. <laughs> a weird opening line that uh, gets us getting off to an awkward start. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, well, you and me used to play music together way back when. Actually, like, yeah, like first bouts playing music was with you. So this is near and dear to me. For folks listening at home, James, Jimmy, sorry, I'm going to keep calling you James. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> James and I both grew up in a small town, Nebraska. I'm from Ord, Nebraska. And James is from Burwell, Nebraska, which was 16 miles uh, north uh, northwest of where we're from. My town was about uh, twice as big as as your town, and uh, I would consider our towns rivals, at least in certain certain aspects. And uh, then we also pout around and plenty uh, plenty connections there. And and uh, while my town Ord sat in a beautiful lush river valley, Burwell's kind of at the edge of the sand hills up there, kind of where it starts to get real up there. And uh, the Calamus Reservoir is a beautiful, I guess not natural, <laughs> technically, beautiful man-made area up there that uh, I said is right on the edge of the sand hills, and it doesn't get much more, more beautiful than that. So, so both of us hail from uh, right in the center of nowhere, for whatever that's worth. That is the debate. How much is that worth, I guess? Hey, I'm no kidding. Now that we're 10 years removed from, from school and growing up in small town Nebraska, how, how do you kind of feel about it looking back? Do you look back with nostalgia and fondness? How do you look back? Are you, if you never had to go back to Burwell again, would you say, yep, that's all right? Or would you say, ah, eh, you know, there's something about this place. What's your, what's your impression as we're getting old here? You know, I, the, I feel like the older you get, you know, your perspective changes a lot. And, you know, I guess, especially doing a lot of the creative endeavors over the years, you know, my bout Tucson and stuff, I kind of have a newfound appreciation for uh, how productive you can be kind of being isolated from society. Like, I, I think that's kind of why even we did what we did back in the day, where there was really, there were no distractions. There's really nothing else to do. And it gave us a lot of focus. And, you know, even living in a, you know, a big place like Tucson and everything, it was like being that close to other people all the time. It was like my, my productivity kind of went down the drain. I mean, I was still productive, but yeah, uh, being back here, it's like, I don't know, it's serene. You have a lot more mental focus, I feel like, being isolated like this. So, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of value to that. And, uh, you know, just even opportunities to pursue endeavors because you're, you know, you're big fish in a small pond. There's a lot more room for, you know, trying new things out and experimenting and not really having anyone around to poo-poo it, per se. 
I always kind of uh, liken, I guess, small town living or, or isolated living is kind of what happens on, you know, islands that are isolated and what, you know, and evolution takes over. And that's why, you know, Australia has weird old, weird animals that don't exist anywhere else that when you, when you isolate a group of animals or a group of people or even a person, that that's when, uh, when evolution takes off. Yeah, it's kind of funny that people think that only the biggest changes can happen in the, the biggest places, but the biggest changes happen sometimes in the smallest places. Yeah, that's how kind of how I feel about uh, small town Nebraska too, especially growing up. We weren't in the zeitgeist by any means. You know, we were, we were, we were getting a filtered view of the world around us. And by the time the latest trends got to Ord or Burwell, you know, it was kind of, kind of past, and we got to, you know, take take what we were given and mold it in in uh, our unique little small town way. And so, I guess I appreciate I appreciate that as well. So I think you hit the nail on the head that being a little cut off. Uh, makes for a forced innovation i guess you would say there's a lot more freedom to kind of uh i don't know do unique things and even have more unique perspectives because you're not you're not plugged into you know mainstream society out here so there is a lot more i don't know you're you're less swayed by a lot of the mainstream culture in that way so i i think it's actually kind of given us an advantage in a way in the long run like where i mean i've thought about this before like i grew up in a city i mean who knows if i would have done half the things i've done or even think the way i do when you're especially a big city schooling you're kind of forced into whatever lane that you need to go into you know you either are the basketball star or the the drumline master or the uh you know, it's one thing or the other. You're the nerd or the geek or the jock or the burnout or whatever, but uh, small town Nebraska or small town living, you can be the the jock and the geek and the burnout and the, you know, everything all at once, which is, for whatever that's worth, I guess, is that, um, yeah, I always wondered if I would have uh, stayed growing up in San Diego, what lane I would have hyper-specialized in, you know, if I would have went the, the jock route or the... Uh, Full, full musician route or because you pretty much have to pick one thing if you if you even get to pick one at all and so i think that's kind of kind of interesting a lot of what ifs i guess you would say absolutely i well i think you get i mean i think in places like that it's a lot easier to get yourself in you're boxed into something you know here it's kind of like you're free to kind of uh pursue anything you want to do and even outside of music and stuff like that like you can have a ton of different interests and hobbies not saying living in a big place you wouldn't i just think being here there's a lot less outside influence over that and yeah uh, yeah exactly and uh you know and that's the uh is it better or more ideal to be a big fish in a small pond or a small small fish in a, a big pond and you know if you're the star basketball player at uh you know a high school in la you know you're probably going on to bigger and better things if you're the star stud basketball player in Burwell or Ord, that's probably kind of where <laughs> your, uh, that lane ends, you know? And so I guess that's kind of the trade-off is, you know, those opportunities aren't there, but uh, not everybody needs to be the next LeBron James or, you know, big star. And I think that's, that's where uh, I appreciate small town living is that uh, it's okay if you, if you don't change the world, you know, it's all, you, you can just change your little small town. And uh, I don't know, like I said, I'd rather be the star stud in a small school than 
a giant school, I think. Maybe that's just uh, looking back at it retroactively. It's a lot less pressure, too. I mean, yeah, because, I, I mean, I, I really do think, like, I don't know, just if you're anywhere, it's like I think you're more effective in anything you're doing. Just, uh, you know, not even having that perspective, like, oh, I'm going to change the world or anything like that. Even if you're changing your small community and affecting the people around you personally, positively, I think that's more effective than going out and trying to do anything grandiose in a way. It's great that in this country and, you know, the world, I guess, in general, that one person can can make a splash and completely change everything. But that's a that's a new kind of paradigm that I don't think we necessarily have the psychology to deal with, you know, changing the entire world, you know, used to be that our world was just the hundred people that you lived around, you know, and now it's like the world is 7 billion people on the entire planet. Like, ooh, you know, I think we should keep teaching kids that they can change the world, but maybe define world a little bit more. And so it's not so crazy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Well, what's how, what's how connected we are to uh, now. This is the most connected, you know, human beings across the planet ever have been. Yeah, that, that whole idea of changing the world, that's a lot of pressure. And I feel like, too, it's kind of unrealistic. I mean, the, there's only a handful of people I mean, in the grand scheme of things that have like really changed the world. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand the idea of like community like that, because now that we have access to everybody everywhere, you know, there, people think that there's a responsibility to change those things and you don't have to. And most people never have anyway. My podcast that I have going here, I only really uh, advertise it quote on Facebook where I have like 140 people and I I don't get the most downloads by any means. And I'm kind of relieved about that, that I think I would be a little overwhelmed if I uh, had to make a living doing this and I had to rely on a million downloads per, per episode and engaging with that large of a world. I am, I'm a little overwhelmed by that. And I'm, I, I could be a professional podcaster or I think make my, my living on the internet having to deal with as many likes and clicks and views as possible. That's a little, little overwhelming to me. And then it kind of opens up the door to like feeling compelled to compromise on uh, the style of your content and even the quality. Because then you're, you know, when you're actually doing it for views and listens and downloads, you're actually, yeah, you're compelled to cater to people. And that might not line up with, you know, what you're feeling compelled to do yourself as an individual. Exactly. And they might not even be, be people that you're dealing with when it comes to the internet. You're dealing with, with bots and and scammers and all sorts of you know you know that's why i only have 140 people on my facebook because i don't want to even deal with with internet strangers anymore i've gotten myself down some rabbit hole too long you know and so i try try not to comment on stuff too much because i'm just checking my phone all day to see see who's responded and i said i couldn't make a living being a social media dude (laughs) and so i know some people can but not me (laughs) Plus, that's such a, you know, oversaturated market anyway. Like, I feel like anybody that's just getting their foot in the door on something like that, it's like, you've got a lot of work to do. Other people have figured it out. And that's, I mean, that's a full-time job. You know, social media influencers, it's like, that's all you end up doing. Like, you don't have a life outside of that. Some people are, I think, are hooked and uh, addicted to that. And I'm kind of glad I'm not.
it's funny. I, you know, I, we both grew up in small town, Nebraska, pretending to be rock stars, pretending our best to be real rock stars, you know, growing our hair out. And I think part of us probably thought we would leave and, and never come back and, and, you know, burn this place to the ground and then leave, you know, leave a trail behind us. And here we are uh, waxing nostalgia about it. So it's just kind of, you know, it was fun being rock stars in high school and, and, uh, um, do you remember when we went down to Holdridge to watch a uh, uh, one act play production and it was you and me and Yon, uh, the foreign exchange student and uh, everybody there was asking if we were in a band, like we were wearing like our big old fur coats and our hair was super long and it's kind of silly looking back on it, but dang, that was cool. <laughs> I felt, felt like rock stars. And, and uh, like I said, what, for what it's worth, that was, that was fun to do. And uh that wouldn't happen in big, a big city or a big school. You know, there's uh, yeah. rock stars are a dime a dozen, so. But you'd just be another, like, yeah, you'd just be another dude. Like I mentioned, I haven't been back to Ward since uh, 2018. And uh, it was for my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. And people still are asking about Merle Buckley, still asking about Indiana Brothers. And so for whatever that is worth. It's kind of cool that the people still still ask about that. That whatever legacy, quote unquote, is is still uh, still alive and well. So it it's still it, it impacted people. I mean, there wasn't anything like that going on around here at all. Hasn't happened since. No, exactly. You know, my my current bandmates uh, in the band Motion Trap I play with, they are from small town Nebraska as well. They went to UNK. Uh, you went to UNK. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So it's just interesting that all these worlds keep colliding, even though I'm out here in, in big city Denver, that I still can't get away from the small town, Nebraska uh, world. Bro. So, you know, I tried my best, but it keeps falling me. I didn't know they were from Nebraska. Yeah, yep. Um, Nathan is from Loop City originally. And then uh, Kyle is from Franklin, Nebraska. So right outside, uh, right outside Kearney. So... Uh, and then we ended up meeting out here in Denver. So, yeah, all that kind of central Nebraska. All those worlds collided. There's like, I, I've had people tell me that there's like, man, there's something in the water or something like in these small towns in Nebraska. Like, I can't remember who I was talking to it was when I was living in Kearney. My buddy Caleb Simmons, where he's like, yeah, all you guys from like Ord and Burwell, like, so like the best musicians I've seen and know from nebraska come from that area I'm like yeah i don't know it's it's weird well i think uh, a big uh, component to that is my high school band teacher with was uh, jerry neiman mr neiman he did a really good job whether he intended to or not of of cultivating a a world that allowed us to uh do our thing and uh, you know there was kind of three generations of musicians that came out of our area that uh, you know went on to do some pretty pretty cool things. I still play with Mr. Neiman out here in uh, Colorado. He ended up moving out here, and so it's just funny. And once again, my high school band teacher, uh, I'm still playing with. So I can't escape small town Nebraska. That's awesome, though. It's been, like I said, serendipitous and and serene and uh, memorable. Let's call it that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there's something to be said about it, man. I don't, I, I can't put my finger on it, but yeah, being isolated out here, I feel like a lot of people end up picking up 
even music or whatever, end up having the time and no distractions to really pursue it. Well, we've talked a lot about kind of music and, and being rock stars in, in high school and stuff. And are there any gigs or shows that uh, immediately stick out in mind if I if I ask what are some what are some memorable shows that uh, that we played? And I bet I kind of have a feeling what you're gonna say. I you already know. No, I I, I well because like we were so young. I, we, I think we were all kind of blown away. We were playing at the beer tents out at Comstock so young. So for the audience members listening at home, about 20 miles away from uh, from Orden, Nebraska, and um, in between Orden and Burwell, uh, there was a rock and roll festival that was held every summer, uh, kind of a little mini Woodstock uh, out among the sand hills, and got some giant big names out there, like uh, as far as classic rock is concerned, like Leonard Skinner and Ted Nugent and Blue Oyster Cult, and you name your 80s uh, and 70s kind of rock and roll band still doing the doing the state fair kind of tour thing. We saw them back in the day. And then we had the opportunity playing in a band uh, my senior year of high school and you're one year younger than me. We got to play in the beer tents out at Comstock Rock. We got to play three three sets where we played Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And uh, yeah, up to that point where I think even for a lot of us, that was the biggest gig we've ever played. And, and uh that was the rock and roll pinnacle for, for, for most of us as far as, uh, you know, we've been musicians since and have played a lot of cool shows, but as far as rock and roll, like that was the, that was the pinnacle right there. I think so. <laughs> I think you would probably agree. Oh yeah. For the longest time I was like, that was insane. But I mean, like, yeah, just even looking back on it, how young we were, it was like, yeah, I, it kind of blows my mind still. It blows my mind uh, how unprepared and okay with being unprepared we were and how, how uh, you know, we just jammed, you know, we just, uh, we just went off the rails and we weren't scared to play 20 minute songs and especially compared to my band now, which is very rehearsed and very, you know, we don't really let anything not be known. There are so many unknowns uh, during that gig that it kind of blows my mind that, that we, you know, I don't know if I would be that brave anymore, which is pretty... <laughs> pretty cool to look back on we just kind of went for it yeah i i think you know honestly i think uh you know that band for me at least i think that kind of laid uh, a really big foundation down for me where it was like we got to just really you know find ourselves and experiment through that and like i like i haven't had that type of opportunity on that caliber ever since but i don't think i'd maybe the caliber i'm at without those experiences right precisely yeah, that was uh, that was cool. We we blew the generator out uh, during one during one set, which was uh, when it comes to rock and roll. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that. Blowing out a generator, playing so loud. Like I said, I had a feeling that you were gonna you were gonna say that gig, and uh, that was definitely when it comes to Earl Buckley gigs. That was definitely that was definitely a big one. I have lots of fond memories of. Uh, playing down at Bulldogs uh, down in Murdoch, Nebraska. That was kind of our first venture out of uh, our kind of little local area. And it was, it was cool and cliche, but very rock and roll to pack everything up in the van and drive a few hours and felt like we were on tour. Especially for how young we were. It, yeah, I, I remember getting to leave school on school days early to go do that. 
Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I got a gig tonight. I got to, I got to leave. I'm missing fourth period. We might as well have been on a, a three month stadium tour. You know, that's what it, it felt like. But we were just driving down to, you know, little small town outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, to play to, uh, you know, a couple dozen people. I think there was one gig where there, where there was probably 50 people there, and that shit just felt like, uh, you know, like I said, it might as well have been playing a stadium as far as our, our brains were concerned. That it was just, you know, just uh, as it should be. Oh, yeah. I feel like it kind of raised our bar for, uh, you know, what, what we know we're capable of. And I think even our expectations out of things now that we're older, it's like getting a lot of that stuff out of the way really young. And I think of people that like, they just start doing that in their early 20s. And we, you know, we were doing that in high school. We, uh, we couldn't even drink at the bars we were playing. And that's pretty hilarious. We thought we were badass because we could buy black and mild cigars. And like, that was the only thing that we could really, really do. Or we would uh, have to sneak beers from our parents and stuff. And, and uh, so I feel like an old man waxing on all this nostalgia. But, uh, you know, I'm still playing music and we're still playing music. So it's not like, it's not like we're burnouts or anything. We're still doing our thing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this isn't like, oh, yeah, back in the glory days. We talked about a couple of memorable Merle Buckley gigs, our, the band that we were in during high school. We played in a couple other bands throughout college. You were in a band called American Gunfight that I played a couple of shows with. And one of them uh, was at the Roman in Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, I remember that being just a fun gig for, for whatever reason. That one kind of kind of stands out to me too. I think we played there a couple times. I don't know if you have any memories of playing there or not, but oh, to, oh, totally. Yeah, the place isn't even open anymore. That's a coin store now. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, so it's like, yeah, I, I played in that coin store when it was a venue, kind of thing. And yeah, I, I I used to work at a screen printing shop down the street from that place. So it's like, I, I thought about it all the time because I drove by it every day going to work kind of thing so ghost of, of uh, christmas past <laughs> and then uh we played at uh jammers out in odessa which is outside of Kearney, nebraska which is a, a strip club slash bar or i don't know exactly how you would describe that place but uh that was uh that was an interesting gig as well <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> that was that was very interesting hey that you know that was actually the night i met the caleb simmons and Dale Phillips for the first time. That's, uh, that's pretty serendipitous. So one of the guys that uh, James just mentioned here is also from uh, Ord, Nebraska, one of the kind of upper generations of, of musicians that uh, I grew up kind of idolizing and, and worshiping. And so it's funny that we all, we all run the same circles now and all still, still have these weird connections that won't, won't go away. So there's, there's something in the water, like you said. <laughs> yeah it, it is true <laughs> even my, my current bandmates in motion trap uh, they played a bunch of gigs out at uh, jammers in odessa too oh really yep so we got we got stripper memories that, that we can talk about <laughs> so, all, all pretty surreal <laughs> yeah oh that's hilarious that's hilarious There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Part one of my conversation with my good friend and fellow human being, Jimmy Weber. 
If you enjoyed listening, I invite you to listen to part two. As always, thanks for listening to the Human Being Human podcast. I'm your host and creator, Carrington Cooper. Please join me for the next episode, and we'll see each other on the other side. You can follow this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, as well as Patreon. I'll be posting links to all of the references mentioned throughout this series, as well as any other stories, videos, articles, or other cool stuff that might be of interest. In today's episode, we heard music from American Gunfight, a band that Jimmy and I used to play in together. In the intro, we heard the song Step, recorded, mixed, and mastered at Clamhead Studios in Cairo, Nebraska. In the outro, we'll hear Jimmy and I playing live at Jammers in Odessa, Nebraska, recorded on a cell phone in 2009. And as always, I appreciate all of your ears and support, and we'll see you next time.